Today on Sharp Scratch, you'll learn when useful anxiety turns bad, how the Sharp Scratch team have experienced it, and how apps can actually help you cope with it. You're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 23, Anxiety. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests to discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but the med school might not teach you. I'm Anna, and I'm a final year medical student at King's, and I'm editorial scholar here at the BMJ. And I'm in the studio today with our friends Chidera and Raihan. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, guys. My name is Raihan. I'm an interclinic student at Imperial College. And in my part-time, well, in my spare time, I make YouTube videos. Awesome. And Chidera, we haven't had you in the studio for yeah. so long. It's so good to see you. So medicine has kind of taken over my life. Um, hi, I'm Chidera. I'm a second-year foundation year doctor working in London. Um, and I don't have any free time at the moment. That's basically what I do. <laughs> yeah, so we're very grateful that you've uh, managed to make it here today to record with us. And we've also got this week's expert guest in the studio with us. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Stania. I'm a registrar in forensic psychiatry in South London. And I'm actually on a national programme year. And I'm clinical fellow at NHS England and the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges, getting an experience of the NHS away from the front line. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And could you just tell us a little bit about um, your sort of time as a psychiatrist and uh, what you do? Okay, so I have been in psychiatry for about six years now and I specialise in forensic psychiatry. So that's where essentially mental health meets the criminal justice system. So I work with people who have severe mental illnesses like depression or psychosis, but have come into contact with the courts or police at some point. Sometimes I work in hospitals, secure hospitals, and other times I work in prisons, police stations, and I also go to court and try and explain mental illness to judges and lawyers. Cool. Well, we're not going to be talking so much about the forensic side of your job today. Um, but what we're hoping that you're going to help us to do um, is unravel a topic that I think is quite relevant to a lot of medical students and junior doctors, which is anxiety. I know that sort of just after Christmas, a lot of people have medical school exams. And I don't know about you guys, but I always get quite anxious around exams. And obviously for junior doctors like yourself, Chidera, I imagine it's quite normal to be anxious about seeing sick patients, making decisions. Raihan, would you consider yourself an anxious person? Um, I never did until my third year of medical school. And then from then on, it went a little bit downhill. And I didn't know what it was, but I then kind of came to the conclusion. Luckily, actually, I was on my psychiatry placement at that time. And that's when I figured out, okay, I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's quite hard to admit to yourself that you have anxiety, um, especially considering none of my friends talk about it. No one in my family talks about it. But luckily me being in like a medical student, you, you realize how important it is to understand the condition and to put things in place to sort of move forward with it. Mm. 
Yeah. And Chidera, you've spoken to us before, actually, yeah. in episode 12 um, about having anxiety, right? Yeah. So it's again, it was something that I hadn't really experienced before medical school. Um, it started in my first year surrounding exams, which I think for a lot of people is their first trigger because you're away from home and you're out of your comfort zone. You're suddenly surrounded by a lot of people who are also top of their class for most of their life. Um, and I think it was just the first time I felt really not in control. And I think... At the time, I thought this is new, but actually, I think the more I think about it, the more I realise that I've probably always been an anxious person, but these triggers haven't always been there. Because when you're younger and you have your family or, you know, you're at boarding school and you have a lot of cushioning, when those disappear, it's not that you suddenly develop anxiety, but you suddenly have those triggers where now I'm not in control and now I don't feel comfortable. And I think that's essentially what happened to me my first year. I guess what I'd like to explore a little bit is um, how we can recognise the difference between sort of normal exam anxiety that you might have and anxiety that's kind of going a bit further and you might need to get some extra help for. Um, so, Stania, do you think that anxiety is useful in some situations? Absolutely. I think it's interesting that both you, Ryan, and Chido have talked about being anxious. And actually, I also suffered from anxiety. And I realised I did when I was at med school, similar to you, around exams. I think that's quite normal. And you might have seen the, the models of stress performance. So the idea that you need a certain amount of stress for you to perform mm -hmm. well. And it's normally a bell-shaped curve. Mm -hmm. So you need to know that your exams are coming and your deadlines are coming to actually basically get on and do the work. Otherwise, you'll just chill out and do nothing. Mm -hmm. But if you continue to pile on the stress, then you don't get any more performance. And actually, your performance can degrade over time. So you sort of have to get that sweet spot of where you've got enough stress that it motivates you but not so much that it paralyzes you mm. and that spot is different for different people and some of us have a kind of a, a bigger bucket we can take a bit more stress and it might be that because we're actually just genetically more resilient or we already do things to help us feel better like exercise or mm. do yoga or meditate or have a faith or whatever it is and then others of us have a little bit less sort of capacity maybe genetically we're a bit more vulnerable and maybe we haven't kind of yet learned those those techniques that help us cope yeah I definitely think that's true and um, since you guys have all been so open um, talking about your experiences um, I also have experiences with anxiety so it seems like it's a very um, kind of mm -hmm. universal yeah experience for people um, in medicine we know that people in who go into fields like medicine are more yeah. likely to suffer from anxiety and depression and when I was in my first year of medical school that was when I had quite serious problems with anxiety um, it was a very specific anxiety around transport um, and it got to the point where um, I couldn't I couldn't get on a bus and I also couldn't get on the tube for more than one stop. So getting around anywhere got very, very difficult for me because I either had to walk or I could get on the bus for one stop and then get off and sort of, you know, mm -hmm. pull myself together and then get back on the bus. Um, and it sounds so silly to me, like looking back now, but, but at the time I, I just couldn't handle it. Um, so that's obviously like an example of where obviously that level of anxiety was affecting my life so much that I needed to do something about it. Mm. 
but I just want to pick up a bit on what you were saying about um, what we can do to kind of help ourselves. Um, so you mentioned a few things like exercise, maybe having a faith, meditating. So I just wondered what sort of you guys' strategies were to, you know, at that very beginning when you sort of feel yourself getting a bit anxious, but maybe mm-hmm. it's not affecting your life so much that you feel you need to get extra help. What kind of things do you do? So one thing I've noticed that I'm a bit of a ruminator. So if I have something that's quite stressful, I will just think about it continuously and I won't think about it in a way that's helpful at all. So now I kind of, I set things into chunks. So any big task I have, I will literally make a list of maybe one to 10, maybe one to 15 different ways of doing it. And then for each one, I am just, I am allowed a certain amount of time to think about it or to worry about it, but that's that. I think I've had to learn to be quite stress uh, strict with myself because a lot of my stress comes from runaway thoughts that just kind of cycle, which aren't helpful. So sometimes I just I have to just go for a run Um, I love going to the cinema by myself like things where I'm like I've taken myself out of my head I've made my list of things to do and now that I've done that we don't get to worry about this anymore Mm. I think it took a lot of self-discipline to kind of work that out for myself actually Mm. what about you Raihan um I still struggle with it so my I think what's interesting as well to hear is that everyone talks about a different type of anxiety. So mm. some people have exam anxiety, some people have travel anxiety. My anxiety was public speaking, and the story behind it is is quite funny, But um, and we can talk about that later. But t- in terms of dealing with it, I've had to ask like a lot of friends for advice, like how do you deal with it? And because a lot of people suffer from public speaking, like anxiety, and I didn't realize, I was always confident at public speaking, and I always enjoyed it. So I've tried different things. Someone told me to massage my neck. Um, apparently rubbing your carotid artery can can reduce your heart rate. And if you do it too much, you pass out. Yeah, luckily, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a little bit dangerous. <laughs> luckily, I've not passed out yet. So I think you're trying to stimulate your vagus nerve yeah. and then yeah. reduce your heart rate. But I mean, that's quite... So, so, so that was one thing. Someone else told me if you put your thumb, stick your thumb in your mouth and blow up your cheeks with air and just hold your breath, that works. Again, I've tried it and it was okay, but I think it's just a psychological <laughs> thing of like, okay, if it's worked for someone else, then it should work for me. But really, really and truly, I still get extremely nervous before public speaking. What about imagining everyone naked? Have you been told yeah. to do that? Never have I ever been <laughs> Really? Told. That's quite I've a common one. Yeah. Imagine everyone in the audience naked. Yeah, and then, that's and that's supposed to make you feel more relaxed because, <laughs> because they're you're the only one that's close. You've, yeah, you've got one up on them. <laughs> Maybe try that next time. Yeah, Raihan's looking very sceptical now. For all <laughs> yeah. you can't see the look on Raihan's face. Yeah. I don't know what to say for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think what I'm interested to um, hear about as well is kind of how we can recognise like that boundary between the normal anxiety that we've just kind of spoken a bit about you know we need a bit of anxiety to know that you know we've got an exam coming up we need to sort of spur ourselves on to actually revising or doing something about it and anxiety that is impacting our lives to the extent that maybe we do need to go and seek external help so Stania from your point of view like as a psychiatrist is there any advice that you'd give to people yeah I think um so there are a few things so first of all often people don't know they, 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 it's hard to know when something has become pathological when it's mm. become a problem so that's often difficult but things that I would look out for if someone was speaking to me about anxiety would be things where it's gone on for a long time 
and it's not getting better or it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. What you said, Anna, about not being able to get on a bus for more than one stop actually is quite disabling. It means that your ability, like you said, to get around, to get on with your day-to-day life is really impaired. So so if somebody's speaking to me and it sounds like their anxiety, their worry, whatever it is, is impacting their ability to get to work, get to college, university, to look after their family, look after themselves, then get out of the house, for example, go do food shopping, whatever it is, then that that that's something to be concerned about. When it's out of proportion with the situation, when you, um, some people have what's called generalised anxiety, so they worry about everything and nothing, and that's overwhelming. So when, when the worry is is you know something that you normally would be able to cope with or should be able to cope with and you just you just can't that's that causes concern and also i think when you start to get certain symptoms like if somebody has panic attacks so that's when you have a physical manifestation of anxiety so maybe you get short of breath your heart rate goes up you get palpitations people can get pins and needles and and that can happen anywhere and then you get another level of anxiety where you're worried that it could happen anywhere mm. so that's something that I, I always look out for and when it stops you doing things you enjoy if it stops you going out with your friends it stops you going to college it stops you meeting people then that's something that's also was his concern mm. and Chidera having had experience experience of um sort of having some anxiety yourself is there anything that you sort of look out for in yourself to say okay my actually my anxiety is like getting a bit worse at the moment so at the beginning actually the first thing that made me realize that things weren't normal were the physical symptoms that have been described so i had actual panic attacks and it does feel like you're literally going to die so you Mm. can't breathe and your heart's racing and i get kind of like a heat rush to my head and then feel suddenly very dizzy and that was originally kind of how I knew things weren't going well. Mm. Now I have a better understanding of triggers that are like, okay, I'm not at panic attack station, but if I keep going at the rate that I'm going, we may get there. So sleep is a really, really big thing for me. Um, When I stop sleeping and my sleep is very tied to my stress levels, that's Mm. really obvious. Um, And eating again is another thing. So when I'm very, very anxious, I eat a lot less. And yeah, I think those are the two things that I tend to keep an eye out for. If I'm really not eating or putting time aside for for meals or feeling like I don't have time for meals, and if I'm waking up in the middle of the night and waking up really early in the morning, Mm. struggling to get to sleep, often because my heart's racing again, those are things where I'm like, okay, this isn't, I'm not just a little bit worried or a little bit stressed. Mm. This isn't good anymore. Yeah, because I think it can be like quite difficult, like, like you were saying, especially if things sort of, come on gradually as well Mm. and they get worse gradually it's quite difficult to say okay actually yeah this is quite a lot worse than it was maybe a month ago Raihan did you Mm. feel that with your public speaking like was it something that wasn't really a problem before and it wasn't a problem before but there was one scenario and after that one scenario the next time I I tried to present I just froze and I lost my voice completely. I I didn't even know what was going on. I was just stood there. I knew what I wanted to say, but it just wasn't coming mm. out. And I was thinking, what's wrong? So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go get some water. I got some water, came back, and I still couldn't speak. I was like, in my head, I was ready, but I couldn't. And I was like, this is so odd. I, I, I'm really sorry, I don't know what's going on. And then I just passed it on to someone else and they carried on. But that was it was just all of a sudden after Mm. one event 
So you had like a definite like trigger yeah, a definite event. Trigger. I think that's that's also interesting. Sometimes anxiety can be gradual and sort of slowly come on, but also people can have experiences where they where something happens, like for example, a speaking event, and then a negative experience or an unusual experience, and then it goes from there. And also, obviously, you can get anxiety from a traumatic event. So maybe if someone's been involved in a in a mugging or uh, an assault mm-hmm. of some kind, you can yeah. then develop symptoms of anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, for example. So, so for some people, something's happened, and then after that, they've mm-hmm. everything's changed. Yeah. And then for others, it's a slow, sort of burning mm-hmm. thing. Okay, we're going to discuss what resources might be out there to help manage some anxiety. Right after this. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. All right, back to the show. So I kind of think that I guess the next logical step after maybe you recognise that you might need um, a bit of help with managing some of the anxiety is finding some resources to help you. So, Raihan, you've mentioned like talking to your friends. Was there anything else that you did? Is there anyone else you know that you might go to like get help? Um, so after speaking to my friends, I decided I think it's time to go and see a doctor just because it wasn't really working and it was getting a little bit out of control just because the nature of medicine and, and the teaching of medicine, you have to do a lot of presentations. Mm. Now, if I'm stuck and lost for words, not only is it embarrassing, but it's also sort of it stops me from learning because like making the presentation all I'm thinking about is can I even present this like is there any point of me doing this so I went to see the doctor and the doctor said look it's fine like this sort of stuff happens when I was at med school I also went through this I was wanting help and I knew what I wanted I wanted CBT so then he referred me but from my research I wanted CBT I thought that was the best option but then the person I was referred to said that I didn't really need it and since then I've been struggling with it and I still haven't got around to figuring out how I can tackle this and it is a bit of a difficult one but I just put it on a back burner and just think right let me just practice more public speaking and surely one day I will get over it but I don't know if that's correct you can tell me if I'm wrong that's quite difficult, isn't it? That you sort of want help and have asked for it, but mm. you're sort of stuck. So what I was thinking, Ryan, so 
just in terms of treatment, I think your the research that you did, CBT is one of the evidence-based treatments that we use for social anxiety, which is your public speaking anxiety. That's that's what that that is. And normally it's one-to-one and it's time with a, a counsellor, therapist. They're normally not doctors. Um, and it can happen in a GP surgery. It might happen in a um, can happen anywhere really. You can even, you can do it in a in a cafe. It depends where where you meet your therapist. Normally, fifty minute sessions, and you normally do about sort of between anywhere between six and twelve. And CBT is all about the here and now, so it helps you to think about how your thoughts impact on your behaviour, and then that how that impacts on how you feel and your bodily function. So it's thoughts, beliefs, and um, behaviour, and it works quite well. So sometimes it's difficult for people to get CBT because the waiting lists are quite long. Yeah. And depending on how severe your problem is, they might actually have thought, oh, he's doing quite well. But the fact that you need, want some help with it, um, I think is important. You can actually do CBT online. So it works very okay. well online. And so one of the things I thought about when you were speaking was, I don't know if you've heard of an app called Mindshift or Headspace. These are apps that you can mm-hmm. download and you can actually go through CBT type exercises and do them yourself. You can also do CBT on the telephone. Most people through their GPs can access kind of what we call self-help CBT. So that's that might be an option for you. And maybe maybe go back to the GP and actually say, it looks like I'm doing well, but actually I'd like I'd like some support. I don't think you're asking for too much. Yeah, I just worry sometimes that maybe because you like as medical students, we've been through psychiatry placements and we see how severe mental health can be. And and then I don't know, sometimes you compare yourself to other patients and think, OK, well, mental health is a I don't know, it's a it's a part of medicine which mm. is quite strained and I don't want to be a bit of a burden when I, I feel like I can handle this myself. Yeah. But I had a I sometimes of, you oh have these thoughts as a medical student, but I don't know if it's just me, but... I will say that I've used Headspace, um, particularly um, over the past two years because I did have some counselling when I was at uni, but since I moved to London and started working, that's basically impossible. Um, And using Headspace, particularly on the odd occasion where I get very anxious and it's starting to impact my sleep, has been really, really helpful. So that might be a good place to start, some sort of online help, and then like the app online, and then if that doesn't work, then you can sort of go back to the GP there's also another website there's a website called anxiety BC which mm-hmm. um, has lots of resources on it and people find that quite helpful mm-hmm. so you just to go back to what you said at the beginning you said you had done some research and knew that you wanted to ask your GP for CBT mm-hmm. so where did you was it just from medical school or was there a particular place that you went to do the research about it so I just typed in sort of what I was feeling on Google, as most people do, and it comes up with loads of stuff. And obviously you learn about um, generalized anxiety disorder and the different ways it can sort of come up in people. And I think it was just a combination of like research that I did online Mm. and what we were learning at the time that I realized, okay, yeah. 
Yeah, so I was interested in um, exactly what you're saying. You know, most people will Google their symptoms um, and see what comes up. Um, So I did exactly that. And the first thing that came up was the Mind website. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually spoke to Stephen from Mind about the kind of resources that they offer. I'm Stephen Buckley. I'm head of information at Mind, the mental health charity. The thing, one of the things I do at Mind is look after our helplines. uh, And it's my team that's responsible for producing the mind's mental health information including topics such as anxiety. Yeah there, there are a number of uh, resources on the mind website that can help people if you like self-care with, with feelings of anxiety. Uh, we've got some fantastic relaxation exercises for example uh, so they're worth a look at but some of the tips that uh, that we might talk, talk about with people are things like uh, pausing for thought you know, trying to introduce small areas of uh, relaxation into someone's day and build that in. Perhaps taking a stop from what you're doing, having a look around, going for a nice walk, just sort of noticing your surroundings. It sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but sometimes learning to relax can be really hard work. So just taking a couple of minutes each day and practicing relaxing can, can actually really build uh, the, of, the effectiveness of that over time. Uh, re- related to that, I think sort of trying breathing exercises can be quite helpful with anxiety. Gently breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth, keeping a nice slow pace, relaxing your muscles as you're breathing, that can be really helpful for some people. Um, listening to music, um, that can be a really nice way of, of relaxing and, and just kind of reducing some of the um, feelings of anxiety. Um, keeping those kind of memories of when you were happy you know those going to those places in your memory where you were happy that can be really helpful for some people Uh, and I think you know as I mentioned earlier learning to relax can actually take a bit of practice and a bit of work so if you find some of these techniques don't work first time keep at them for for a little bit uh, and you might find it gets a bit easier as you get more practiced you know on top of that particularly I think for, for for people who are studying they've got exam stress exam pressure you know, having a generally healthy lifestyle is really important, keeping an eye on things like uh, alcohol consumption, caffeine consumption, exercise, nutrition, all those things can be really helpful. Uh, and also trying to plan when you're sort of thinking through exams or, or assessments, uh, feeling, you know, helping you feel in control of your, of your timetable can help people manage those feelings of anxiety. I think as well what's worth mentioning is you know, some of the self-care might not work for everyone. And it's really important that if the, the, the feelings of anxiety and the symptoms of anxiety that someone might be experiencing are severe or they're not going away after a week or two or they're really impacting the kind of life that someone has, it's really essential that someone goes and talks to someone about that, perhaps a GP, perhaps a close friend, perhaps someone at college, but th- that they actually look for some help if some of the self-care tips aren't working. Okay, so I think Stephen summed up a lot of the things that we've already talked about a bit, um, but I wondered if anyone had anything that they wanted to add to that. I think it's just worth saying that um, sometimes anxiety can get really overwhelming and we know that um, when it gets severe it can be linked with low mood, um, difficulty sleeping like Chidera said, but also can, can, can build into a depression and for some people, that also then um, becomes depression with thoughts about not wanting to be alive or actual suicidal ideation. So um, it's important that people recognise that um, do all the things you can to help yourself, 
but um, if it's not getting better, mm-hmm. then definitely go and speak to your GP and get some help because it, it can become a really big problem. Um, so I think that leads quite nicely into what I wanted to just touch on next, which is, um, you know, it might feel like to some people that as med students and junior doctors, we can't ask for that help. And um, we've talked about this on the podcast before a bit about the the stigma around having a health issue as a medical student or a junior doctor, um, though we mainly focused on sort of physical illness. And um, I think there has been a lot of um, kind of discourse recently about um, mental illness, resilience, things like that in doctors and med students, which has been a positive step. But I think we probably all agree that we're not like completely there yet in terms of breaking down the stigma around things like this. So, yeah, I just wondered what you guys all thought. Like, Chidera, did you find it difficult to sort of seek help when you first realised you were anxious because of this? I mean, to be honest, yes, because I think a big thing with anxiety is people do, I think, understand it a little bit more and take it more seriously now. But for, I think, the most part, in my head, anxiety just existed on this spectrum of stress. And it was just like a kind of higher stress, but it was just stress and everybody gets stressed. So why would you go and see a doctor? Because you're stressed when you're a med student at, you know, at a university where everybody else is stressed. Mm-hmm. And I think that thought made, made me feel like this is embarrassing because this is a case of not me having something wrong with me in terms of, I guess, mentally or medically but just that I can't cope as well as everybody else and that I think prevented me going to see a doctor until I was literally having panic attacks where it was like okay well embarrassment aside I just don't feel very well anymore Mm. Um, but I think for a lot of people particularly if you're doing a competitive subject or a competitive career feeling like you aren't coping when everybody else is can really prevent you seeking help. Yeah I completely agree with that. What do you think Raihan? You're looking very thoughtful. I don't know. I'm not so sure what to say about um about that question but i think i had my own sort of stigma about mental health like for example i didn't want to and it's it sounds so silly but it just made me feel like am i weak have i done something wrong am i not doing enough exercise am i am i not praying properly like you question all of these things that you've put in place for years so that you don't come into problem with mental health but that was I think the misconception that was like we think that the lifestyle that we live will protect us from mental health but you cannot predict like the circumstances that will come in the future and you might have one event that will change everything and change your course and I think that was my sort of story and it made me feel a bit weak but then going to the doctor and speaking to him was a lot more reassuring I don't know why, but it just felt a lot better. I know for me, um, one thing I've noticed with stigma, whether it's mental health or otherwise, is that I think a lot of it comes from a sort of us and them. Mm. Um, And I think particularly having done my psychiatry placement earlier this year, one thing that I think will get rid of the stigma for most people is when you suddenly realise that actually you aren't a certain kind of person who doesn't get mental health and there isn't a specific sort of person Mm. who does have a mental illness. Actually, we all have mental health. Some of us have slightly different aspects of it that are doing better or worse than others, but no one's unique in that they are protected. Um, And I think it took me learning that to 
I wouldn't say completely ignore the stigma, but to be kind of, I'm going to put that aside and let it get in the way of me seeking help or being open about how I feel. But I think for a lot of people, even now, that stigma, I think particularly for medical students or doctors where in our work, we do tend to think of ourselves as us and the patients as them, suddenly becoming a them can be quite startling. Mm, Yeah, and I think that's something that we definitely talk quite a lot about um in our previous episode so if you're interested in learning more about that do you go back and listen to our episode about being a sick doctor um Raihan, you mentioned that you like asked your friends for advice like did mm-hmm. you find that difficult not really that was okay because so by that time i didn't realize and even to this day i'm not sure if i have been diagnosed with anxiety i just know i have a fear of public speaking and that's not something to be embarrassed of. People have fears of all sorts of things. I have a friend who's terrified of dogs. Like, he's terrified. You, we have to cross the road if we if there's a dog on the same side of the street. And we laugh about it. It's, it's, it's funny. So we're, I'm lucky in the sense that I can talk about this with my friends and say, look, I really cannot do public speaking. Do you have any advice? Does mm-hmm. anyone else have this problem? In that sense, I'm lucky. And... I didn't really feel embarrassed or anything anything like that because everyone has their fears of something and if you're okay to talk about it, then do so. I think that's great, man, that you've got a set of friends that you can kind of be open with and I think that's one of the things that we all kind of struggle with is being able to be open about our feelings and say when things aren't okay and we're not doing well and we need support and I think as medics, we're not very good at that. We're not very good at kind of self-care, looking after ourselves. It's really important as healthcare professionals that we look after our own well-being, whether that's mental or physical health. And it's important to remember that if you aren't mentally well or your well-being is, is impaired, that it's very difficult to then care for others. And I think that generally, if we think about stigma, some of it is related to kind of ignorance, not not knowing. But also, if we think kind of more broader in society, we still discriminate against people with mental health problems. People are quite are nowadays quite happy to talk about cancer and we talk about people fighting cancer and surviving it. And you, if you kind of told someone that you had a cancer diagnosis you'd get lots of support but if you tell people that you suffer from anxiety or depression or schizophrenia sometimes it can feel very lonely so I think that's the context as well that we're in and unfortunately as healthcare professionals we're no different if anything we can often be more um, stigmatizing than than other groups. Okay so thank you guys so much for being so open um, on the podcast today Um, I really appreciate you guys sharing your stories because I haven't shared that story that I shared with you guys earlier with very many people in my life so that's kind of yeah like a big step for me and I really appreciate you guys being here with me and uh talking about this um so I guess just to wrap up have you guys learned anything today yeah I think I'm gonna look into self-help and the apps I used to think that the apps were mm, I don't know just I don't know, like a gimmick, but actually from what you're both saying, I think it's worth a try and maybe that might be the answer. What about you, Tadera? Is there anything you're going to take away today? Um, So I think my main takeaway is something that I've been trying to implement anyway, which is, as our speaker from mine mentioned, relaxation is not not something that comes naturally to everybody. It is something that you have to practice. Mm. I don't think I've been very good to myself doing that recently, so I think I need to 
go back to making specific time for myself to relax again. Yeah, and it's a bit like, I guess, what we were talking about, Raihan, in our episode about patience, that we need to learn empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and people often don't think that you need to yeah. learn empathy. Like, you need to learn, learn to, relax to relax as well, yeah. which, again, sounds so foreign. And uh, Sania, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. And everything you've said has been really helpful. And I hope all our listeners find it helpful too. Um, Is there anything like final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with today? Just to say that it's really common. Anxiety is one of the common mental disorders. And as we've talked about, it's a whole spectrum of sort of normal sort of worry and stress to being more serious. But what I would say is... um, there's nothing to be ashamed of get help and maybe be persistent in getting help as well and if there's anyone out there who wants to know more about the mind resources that Stephen talked about uh, i'll put a link to the mind website in the episode description so that's all from us on sharp scratch today We'll be back in two weeks, and if you subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts, you'll get our next episode straight to your phone. If you just can't wait that long to get more of that sweet BMJ student content, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching BMJ Student. And once you finish listening to this episode, why not leave us a rating and write a review? It helps other students find the pod, and we love hearing about what you love about Sharp Scratch. Until next time, it's goodbye from all of us in the studio. Bye. Bye, guys.